To tell this story, first we need to go back a century, when there was no such thing as electrical amplification. No electric guitars, no amps, no stereos. We had yet to hear bluegrass music or rhythm and blues or rock and roll either. Jazz music ruled the day, and show business still featured plenty of vaudeville shows that had yet to be overtaken by the upstart movie industry, which would not feature audio until 1926. Everything was acoustic, and in the midst of a jazz band or vaudeville group, guitars were pretty humble instruments, largely taking a backseat to horn sections, violins, drums, and everything else producing more volume. Enter John Dopiera and George Bitchum, who partnered to invent and build the first of many guitars that had more sustain and were louder, especially in mid-range, which would make them stand out in the popular combos of the day. Their first resophonic guitar was patented in 1929, and it not only helped bring guitar playing back into the limelight in group settings, it went on to revolutionize the musical aesthetic of much of American music. There was a huge Hawaiian music craze in the United States in the 20s after Saul Hoopy, a guy from Hawaii, had played at the uh, sort of World's Fair in Chicago, and that kicked off this Hawaiian craze. That's our guest, Jerry Douglas, who will help us connect the dots in Dobro music history as part of our conversation, which covers everything from his latest collaboration, the album Leftover Feelings with John Hyatt, to the longevity and vitality of Roots Music, the strikingly long list of notable names to come from his hometown of Warren, Ohio, and much more. Plus, of course, there's plenty of music from the man that Bela Fleck nicknamed Flux, including this live version of his song From Ankara to Izmir which Jerry and his band played for us during soundcheck at their first performance in front of a live audience in over a year. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories with our episode on Jerry Douglas. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. One more note before we get back to Flux, and that's about the new Osiris podcast hosted by Carmel Holt called Festival Circuit, which recently premiered Season 2, telling the story of Newport Folk Festival. It follows up Season 1 on New Orleans and its Jazz and Heritage Festival with an in-depth story of the many artists, fans, organizers, and staff who have all come together to make Newport Folk so unique and long-lasting. You get to hear from founder George Ween, musicians like Jim James, Margot Price, Judy Collins, and Brittany Howard. You get to know the Gate Lady. It goes on and on. Really interesting history and a vibrant culture, and some of the most outstanding music of the past 60-plus years. And my friend Julian Booker of WXPN fame co-produces this series, which makes me even more happy. 
Festival Circuit is available wherever you get your podcasts. Coincidentally, Jerry Douglas has a Newport Folk Fest story to share later in this podcast. Happy listening, everyone. with Jerry Douglas at the Hazel Robinson Amphitheater in Asheville, North Carolina, and just hearing some From Ankara to Izmir. And, uh, An this, oldie but a goodie. Yeah, uh, I, I dig that tune, <laughs> I and hope. I never knew the story behind it. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> yeah, some of it's true. Uh, some of the story's true, but, but uh, we used to do these tours long ago where uh, our government would do sort of a cultural exchange with uh within this thing called the United States Intelligence Agency. And uh, we would go over and have a band. And Mark O'Connor and I put a band together once that had Russ Berenberg and, and uh, uh, oh, gee whiz, a uh, whole bunch of guys, really good good players. And But we get there and uh, we're playing for embassies. We're not playing for for USO guys or anything like that, but have done that, but not this time. Uh, and we, I've done five of them and I've been all over the place from, I've been to Istanbul three times, I think, been to India three times, been just all over the world, just really kind of, I won't say total thir- third world countries, but it was a stretch and it was always, uh, it was always fun and using your imagination and being in a crowd of people that you can't speak to and they can't speak to you. And so you're surrounded, but you're alone. Pretty cool feeling, actually. So you get to let the music do all the talking. That's what we did, actually. We just played and they went crazy and they loved us and we loved them. Then we came home. <laughs> well... Tell us about getting back on the road and leaving home for the first bit, you know, in a a long while. Obviously, not a lot of people have been going out and doing anything. What stands out to you about the experience now, getting out on the road versus getting out on the road in years past? Well, there's this terrible virus out there that could attack people, you know, and kill people. And and that wasn't there before. (laughs) before we all came off the road in, and it had a huge effect, especially on musicians, because we're usually the last ones to go. You know, in the in the depression, uh, people always still needed music. So you could go out and play for people, you know, you didn't have to make a lot of money or anything, because no one was making money. But, but in this situation, it's COVID times, we couldn't play for an audience. So we all went to the internet and put on little shows just to keep just to keep our 
just to stay in the public eye, I suppose, just to, and more for me, I did some, and it, more for me was just getting a chance to play and, and uh, you know, stay in, stay in your lives, you know, and, and, and sort of document the, the whole thing as to when we would come back and, and all, all the problems with it. it it's, it's been 14 months of really hard times for musicians, but we're, we're dying to play for, dying to play for people and people really want to hear music. So let's see how this goes. I mean, it's, it feels like a whole new career to me today, suddenly. I mean, I think I'm hearing things differently maybe because I haven't played these songs in a year with the band, you know, so it's going to be, it, it may be a little bit of a struggle, but it's going to be a happy one. Yeah, it almost feels like your first time in this arena again, like almost like these are my first shows that I'm experiencing. Well, I think it's important for us to say that kind of thing. You know, it's their first time out to see a band, too. So it's we've all been wanting this to happen. We just had to we had to wait. We had to wait until it was safe. And that's what uh, that's what the folks the folks here are doing uh, tonight and in uh, all the shows that we're playing. You know, later on this summer, uh, this band, we go out with John Hyatt for three months and they're selling all those shows to capacity. So that's just like the old days and we'll see if people really want to rub shoulders. Yeah. We'll see, we'll find out if they're ready or not. A bit of All the Lilacs in Ohio by John Hyatt with the Jerry Douglas Band from their first collaboration, the new album Leftover Feelings. Jerry tells us all about that later on, but before that, back to the Dobro, because after asking him about the basics of its history, that story gets more and more interesting. The thing that jumps out to me is that resonator guitars are kind of like the platypus of the instrument world. They have always been kind of an outlier, and their makeup is like nothing else before or since they came on the scene. Once the electric guitar became popular and electric amplification became commonplace, dobros became more and more of a niche and were played by acoustic adherents in the blues and country worlds. They kept a foothold in bluegrass music, despite the fact that Bill Monroe was widely known to dismiss them. But luckily for us all, when Jerry Douglas was a boy, he saw Josh Graves play dobro with flattened scrugs, and the imprint stuck. He picked up on an instrument that wasn't incredibly relevant anymore, but because of that, he had all the room in the world to create his own style and ample opportunity to become its ambassador. And that's exactly what Jerry Douglas did starting in the mid to late 1970s with artists like J.D. Crow in the New South, David Grisman, Ricky Skaggs, Doyle Lawson, and Tony Rice before releasing his debut album Fluxology in 1979. When I spoke with him at the Hazel Robinson Amphitheater in Asheville, North Carolina this June, 
I asked him to talk a bit about the history of his favorite instrument and what he found interesting about that. Well, you know, uh, the Dobro guitar, I'll, get, I'll just give you the capsule crash course in, in resophonic guitar, which is uh, the first company to make a resophonic guitar was the Dobro company, and they were based out of Los Angeles. But they were the guys that created the guitar, invented the guitar in 1927, were five Czechoslovakian brothers, really Slovakia now. They're from Slovakia, close to Bratislava, emigrated to the United States, came over and invented the national steel guitar, those real shiny chrome-plated brothers-in-arms, dire straits, that guitar. They, they were involved in that. They created that guitar, and then they moved on. They went, left Chicago, went to California, and started uh, building these wooden-bodied versions because there was a huge Hawaiian music craze in the United States in the 20s after Saul Hoopy, a guy from Hawaii, had played at the, uh, the uh, convention, uh, the, the world, sort of World's Fair in Chicago. And that kicked off this Hawaiian craze. There were people, you know, kids playing them and, and paying for, for lessons every week. You know, a guy would come by and drop off your lesson, drop off your little steel guitar and your bar and your picks, and off he'd go, you know. So now a lot of those guitars are starting to surface, but that was the that was the that's sort of the encapsulated history of the of the dobro, uh, dobro. Dobro means good in che, in the Czech language. It actually means it means good. It's a word for good. And these brothers named uh, were named Dopiera brothers, and they shortened the name to Dobro. What young players impress you? Oh my! Uh, used to be I would say it was Chris Thiele, and you know, but but now even Chris is an old guy. So. Uh, <laughs> But there are, guys, there are all these musicians, great musicians, you know, the guys that are warm, uh, that are opening for us tonight. Uh, uh, Fireside Collective are some of those guys, you know. They've just, they've been hearing it. They heard me and the people that I played with instead of hearing Flatt and Scruggs and Jim and Jesse and Reno and Smiley, people that I listened to to get my inspiration from, that they listened to J.D. Crow in the New South and Tony Rice and Allison Krauss. And that's where they got there. And there are people like Dominic Leslie, who's a mandolin player, who's brought the closest thing to, to Sam Bush that I know of. You know, uh, tons and tons of great dobro players now. The place is just covered up with them. <laughs> when I started to play, there was nobody, nobody, but Josh Graves and Mike Aldridge. And then I came, came into the picture. But man, it's, it's, you know, the internet has changed things where you can go on the internet to YouTube and take a dobro lesson from somebody you may not necessarily have heard of before, but they can play and get you through the lesson. And, and that's important. I had none of that stuff. I mean, I had to, I, I remember sitting there staring at a 33 and a third piece of vinyl and going, how in the world is he doing that? You know, and I had no visual contact with it until I went to a show, a Flat and Scruggs show when I was about 12, 11, 12 years old, and I saw Buck Graves play that dobro and throw it up into the microphone and play, and he played fast, He play, but he could also play really soft and play real bluesy, and he did all these great things, and I just discovered what a wonderful voice the dobro guitar had, and, you know, I attached myself to 
to the guitar and there you go. Great. Well, let's talk about your hometown a little bit. Yeah. So many interesting things about Warren, Ohio. Now it's a, it's a place that kind of seems to punch above its weight because <laughs> it's produced all sorts of well-known people, a lot of professional athletes of all in all sorts of sports, writers, actors. Uh, Roger Ailes was from <laughs> Warren, Ohio. Oh yeah, and then there's Roger Ailes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a NASA astronaut, Dave Grohl, yourself. So Dave, what? Dave has Dave Grohl has he has a uh, an alley named after him, and I have a mural on the side of an Army Navy building. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a steel mill town in northeast Ohio. Warren uh, was was the first place in the United States to have electric streetlights. Thomas Edison put them in himself, and uh, it's it was a thriving town while the steel steel industry was thriving. And then when that went away, you know, poverty moved in, and it's a it's a completely different place than it was when I grew up there. It was. When I grew up, it was booming, and they were doing two, you know, all day long shifts at the steel mills, and then that went away, and and uh, the the infrastructure, everything just left, you know, and and so it's just one of those towns in in thousand towns in this country where that happened, the the industry moved away, and but Warren still, you know, it's it's famous for you know Bob Hayes, world's fastest man at one point played wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys was from there played high school football right there in Warren and I remember my father went to see him play as a high school football player and he said well, I saw something tonight I, I can't believe you know he saw this guy Bob Hayes but uh, yeah there are a lot of people there you know and I grew up didn't tell anybody that I played anything all through school you know, they had no idea that I was playing in dive bars on Saturday nights when I was 13 years old. <laughs> and uh, I just didn't tell them. And then uh, then my senior year of high school, I, uh, the secret got out, and these guys were trying to get in the bar, and I knew they weren't old enough because I wasn't. And so it just, uh, it, it just, it just snowballed. But Warren is a great place, and I, I hope it comes back. Dave Grohl and Jerry Douglas aren't the only high-profile artists that Warren, Ohio has produced. Take Sean Jones, who, like Jerry, is also a Grammy winner. Playing now is the trumpeter and composer's song Touch and Go from his 2011 album No Need for Words. Coming up, we hear more from Jerry about his new album with John Hyatt after we get his take on the ebb and flow of Roots music over the years. Can we talk a little bit about the resiliency, the longevity of acoustic music, and it continues to thrive, and it continues to attract new fans and, and new generations of players. Can you comment on why you think that's still so vital? Why is, why is you know, so, you know, yeah. there are other forms of music which do not enjoy this. Right. Well, one point one is uh, it's an acoustic music. I mean, the bluegrass that we're playing, you know, whatever we're playing up there, I don't know what to call it. But it's got bluegrass, it's got jazz, it's got rock and roll, it's got all of these influences. Uh, but uh, I th 
so it's acoustic so you don't have to plug anything in so you don't have to worry about electricity you know it's a it's a music that came from front porches originally and uh, so you don't have to worry about that part plus it's kind of a uh, community music you know it's it's people rally around and sing you know and take turns and playing and singing and it, it's it's a uh, it's unique uh, in the music world you know for it's different than classical the classical world or the or the the rock world pop music world where you have acoustic guitars and all these instruments you know that you can you can create this huge sound from but you don't have to plug a single thing in and, and a lot of the songs that we sing about are based in, you know, old English folk songs that have traveled over. It's, it's all inherited music, you know, from Appalachia. Especially the Scottish came over and the fiddle players from Scotland and Ireland came over and became American fiddle players and changed the names of some of the tunes, you know, we'll we'll go over there and we'll play a tune We'll say that's that's called Sally Gooden and they'll say no, that's not called Sally Gooden That's that's something you you stole that from us and they'll tell us the real name, but uh, But we're not changing it over here <laughs> But you know, it's just It's a come it's really is a, a kind of music that makes you want to jump in and become involved I think and that's why it's still here and there's also there's a thing that happens, and I've seen it happen in Nashville. Is music is a is a cyc cyclical thing. It's 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 if you look at it, music on a clock faced, on a clock face. I mean, roots music is always twelve o'clock, and the, and something terrible in the world happens. Roots music, right? It's looking for look for something honest and something real, and you can't get more real or honest than this kind of music, and. Uh, when uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou came out was the top of one of those sections, what I'm talking about. And the one before that was when Emmylou Harris and Ricky Skaggs and Randy Travis and all those guys came into country music and suddenly it was country again. It wasn't, as it moves around the dial, it, 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 people shine it and shine it and shine it. And by the time it gets about nine or 10 o'clock, they're going, I can't take this anymore. You know, and then something will happen and uh, put you right back at Roots Music 12 o'clock when here we go again. Wow, I love that analogy. That's the way I've always seen it. I've, have, I've seen it happen in, in uh, recording in Nashville at least three times. Can we talk a little bit about your record with John Hyatt? Oh yeah. And yeah. how did that come together? Uh, John and I are, are suddenly under the same management umbrella and uh, his manager asked my manager uh, what I thought about producing a record on John Hyatt and, and his manager had already talked to him and he said what do you think about Jerry Douglas producing the next record and he went wow yeah yeah you know because John and I have been friends for years but not that not really that close you know because of the different circuits we played and, and uh, whenever we'd would see each other though if we had a minute we'd sit down and talk and and one of the uh one of the times was at newport folk festival i think i played there a year with lyle lovett there and john was there and you know, sonny landreth and uh you know i don't know which record it was but we were all there and he was finished and it was right after he'd done a tour with uh, little village that had rye cooter and jim keltner nick lowe uh, and uh 
And I asked, I asked him, I said, you know what? I, I found a, a picnic table backstage at Newport and we just sat down and there was no one else around and we got to talk for about an hour. And that is so uh, different for, for us as road musicians to get to sit and talk for that long. You know, usually people, you meet somebody who's really interesting to you and you want to talk and you want, really want to talk, but you get five minutes and then you're gone, they're gone out of your life. You never see them again. You know, you never really get to go that in depth or, you know, somebody you really want to talk to. And we, and we, we find those, we find those people everywhere. I mean, but uh, it's just, it was special to sit down and talk with him about anything for that long and. And just recently, he moved into my neighborhood. So <clears throat> we got reacquainted that way, and then the record came along, so I didn't have to go far for rehearsal and, and going through songs with John. But uh, uh, he's, he's a great guy. He's a really good, has really become a good friend. I've, got a, I've not got a new, you know, best friend in my neighborhood. It's nice. It's an emotional record. Oh yeah, and, and how was that in, during those sessions? I mean, did 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 that have a sort of a, a well, weight to it, or how was that? The, yeah, I, I, there's one song in particular that I, 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 I walked softly around, and that was a song called "Light of the Burning Sun," and it's about it's about his his oldest brother committing suicide, and. Uh, he he sang this. He played me the song, and I, and I said, "Is I said that's that's real, isn't it?" Because I could tell the way he sang it. I could tell it's real. And he said, "Yeah, you know it. It happened when I was 11 years old. He was 21 years old. I was 11 years old. But I remember what it did to the family. It just tore the family in half, you know. And and you know it started John on on this uh, this journey that he he has anyway of of uh, making people aware of, of depression, anxiety, and, you know, and suicide, and just knowing that there's somebody to talk to. Somebody out there can help you get through this. You know, there are 800 numbers you can call. If you're feeling really bad, call that number. Call that number. There's tomorrow, you know. There's, there's got to be tomorrow. And John is really hooked up with that, and uh, that song... That song really, really tore me up. And it, but, uh, but then the next song after the record is is called "Little Good Night," and and it's about <laughs> it's about a a baby who won't sleep. You know, just this, I had to, to go with something that was kind of funny because the song is such a shocker. You know, the song about his brother. But the whole record is like that. It's up and down, and and uh, it's but there, there are a lot of personal of John's personal experiences on there that are great. I wish I could tell the stories, but <laughs> probably he wouldn't like that much. But it's just about everything on the record, and we had great fun working with it, working on the record, and my band being on the record. It was just made it. It was just a beautiful picture for me to be able to work with these guys and him at the same time on these songs. I mean. John Hyatt's one of the most important songwriters in the in the in the American songbag, you know. He and he and John Prine were they remind me a lot of each other. They they their writing reminds me of their, you know, they wrote about their personal experiences maybe in a slightly twisted way, but it was always about something that had happened to them. Jerry 
so much appreciate your time. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but one final question. Sure. If you had a magic wand, what would you change about the music business? I would make all of Pandora and Spotify and all of those people that uh, trade our, our music digitally, electronically, to uh, pay us the same as radio stations and and people always have. It's it's just not fair that you would get uh, you know two two million plays off of a record that you'd written and and get paid a very paltry sum. You know a point zero 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 four instead of a, a a real percentage. I mean it's just not fair. And we've been up to Washington talking to them, but you know they're kind of busy. So we'll continue talking to them, catch them on a good day. More and, power uh, to you. Make this happen. I agree. Jerry Douglas, thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and might tell someone you know about it. You can follow the series on podcast platforms everywhere. Currently, Southern Songs and Stories is ranked in the top 5% of all podcasts, which is great. But for this endeavor to be self-supporting, we need you to follow the series and then give us a top rating and a review on your platform of choice. It's all free, and doing that will make all of the topics and artists covered on this series more likely to be found by more people just like you. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all of the Osiris shows available at OsirisPod.com. You can also hear new episodes of this podcast on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Sean Rubin for recording and mixing the Jerry Douglas Band's live performance of From Ankara to His Mirror, and to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW, where we worked with Joshua Ming, who wrote and performed our theme songs. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories.